to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Here today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 is where I will pick up. Paul has just finished speaking to the Corinthians about married life and singleness, and he's not finished, actually. He's, he's actually in the middle of, of his dialogue with them. Not It's necessarily a dialogue. This is actually a discourse. He's, he's, uh, he's a monologue, if you will. He's writing to the, to the Corinthians. This is, he's answering questions that they had. Uh, verse 1 had talked about in chapter 7, you know, that they had written to him some questions um, that they needed him to answer. And so Paul is, is actually answering these questions in chapter 7 uh, regarding marriage and singleness and, and how that looks as a Christian as opposed to what it was that they had been brought up understanding that marriage should be um, in a city that was not known for fidelity. And it was a city that was a pretty debaucherous city. We might liken it unto a modern-day Las Vegas, but uh, probably worse. And so Las Vegas, we might look at it and go, hey, man, what goes on in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, that's the, basically the kind of a term uh, that they had for Corinth. You live like a Corinthian was the statement there. And, they, and, and that was a world-renowned statement that they would use like we would say, hey, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. We would know that as knowing that Vegas is a, can be a pretty debaucherous place. Um, but there's also some great churches in Las Vegas too. There's some, some great ministry going on over there. But there's uh, in Corinth, they had a phrase that, hey, you've been Corinthianized or you live like a, Corinth, uh, like a Corinthian. And, and that would be a knockdown. Everybody would know that you're insulting them if you say such a statement um, because it would speak to their debaucherous lifestyle. It would speak to their loose lifestyle. It would speak to their lifestyle that was not proper anywhere else in the nations, you know, amongst all the other nations, and yet it was fair game in, in Corinth. And so, uh, mind you, I say that as a foundation to what we will also be talking about here today, but as I've looked at all of 1 Corinthians we see that this is what these people have grown up in, and this is what they know. And so they're asking Paul, hey, can you help us with some of these things? We want to be a Christian. We just don't know what that looks like. But we're going to see that they had some issues that Paul is going to deal with here today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 17. He says, uh, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, well, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free 
is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. I want you to remember that. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not, be set to, do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Again, kind of make a mental note of that. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Again, make a mental note that the world is passing away. The form of this world is passing away. He says in verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married carries, cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Not that he may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin or his unmarried you know, daughter, if she is past the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Let, let her go ahead and marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage also does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And then Paul lays out some credentials not in pride not in arrogance but as in a spiritual father and he says and i think i also have the spirit of god let's pray father here we have before us this area of scripture and i pray that you would help me to make sense of it help me to understand help me to teach help me to articulate in a way that we cannot be mistaken what you're you're getting across today to us Today I feel like, Lord, I have sensed as I prepared for this study that you desire me to speak on imminency and urgency. And so, Lord, help me to draw that out from this passage today in a way that would challenge us, change us, cause us to uh, have a sense of urgency, have a sense and live our lives with imminency at the forefront of our mind and our heart especially in this day of time. And so, Lord, we lift up this time to you. I pray, God, that you would open our ears, anoint our ears, anoint our hearts, that we'd be able to hear what your Holy Spirit desires to speak to us and 
and work in and through us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we are in chapter 7, and I am getting to my area of notes that uh, I have written down for today. We have uh, here in verse 17, but as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. And Paul then goes on into a speaking about circumcision. He then speaks about slaves. He talks about virgins. He talks about married. He talks about these things. But I, I believe that there is a, a, uh, there's a couple of things that we need to really, really, really look at here. Um, there's a key to this verse. Um, there's a key to this chapter, if you will. And I would say that it, it looks to me as if in verse 26 we see an area of, of Scripture that would, we do well to understand a little bit more to shed some light on why Paul is saying the things that he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says... I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. I had you remember that, mentally kind of make a note. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. He also said here in verse 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. He says also in the verse 31, uh, the very end of verse 30, verse 31, uh, well, I'll read the whole verse. And those who use this world is not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Now, why would I consider this a key to this passage? Well, because Paul has been talking about and using uh, life instances, life application, life characteristics to speak into marriage, singleness, circumcision, slavery. He's using these instances to, to make a point. The key for this chapter today, the key for this message today, I think that it, it's found in Paul saying, present distress, present distress. Not much is known if you were to go back and you were to look in the history books to find out what was the present distress that Paul was speaking of in Corinth. I mean, he clearly says it here in verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress. What present distress? As you go back, like I say in history books, you're not going to find that there is anything really going on in Corinth at that time. Or was there? The timing of this letter shows no present distress historically. However, I believe that we can deduce from something that Paul wrote a little bit earlier in this letter addressing these Corinthians believer. Turn left with me for just a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Go left. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Picking it up in verse 8, Paul writes this. He says, He's speaking to the Corinthian believers. 
Stick with me here. He says, you are already full. You're already rich. You've reigned as kings. Now, understand, he's not saying this emphatically. He's saying this as, as almost a tongue-in-cheek. He's, he's saying this to them as an obvious statement. He's making a point to them. You say you're rich. You're really not. You say that, that, that uh, uh, you know, you're already full. You really aren't. But this is what you think you are. This is, the, this is the arrogant confidence that you are living in right now. Paul says, you're already full. You're already rich. In fact, you reign as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us. Now, before I go on, here's the thing. Paul's saying, you're full, you're rich, You've reigned as kings without us. Everything's going peaches and cream for you here in Corinth, even since you became a Christian. He's saying, everything is fine. You feel safe. You feel good. There's no distress upon you. Basically, Paul is painting a word picture to us to define the spiritual temperature of the church in Corinth. They were a church filled with people that felt that a simple sentence professing faith in Christ was sufficient not only for salvation, but it also exempted them from trial or tribulation. You see, though they knew that Rome required absolute allegiance to Caesar... As their sovereign rule, as their sovereign ruler, as their king, as their potentate. Though they knew that and they understood that, the Corinthians felt that they were located in a region that allowed for maybe an unspoken freedom of religion. You see, Rome didn't bother them as it pertained to their desire to worship Aphrodite. They they were felt free to worship this goddess of love. And it became pervading amongst the city. It was a, uh, you know, promiscuity was not just accepted in the city, but it was encouraged in how they worshipped Aphrodite. They were very promiscuous. They were very loose. They were very um, immoral in the way that they were living their life, but they were living their life to the goddess of Aphrodite. And they thought everything's good. Their goddess was Aphrodite, not Julius Caesar, or not, not Caesar. It wasn't Julius at this time, but it was, it was not Caesar. I believe it was Nero at this time. It's not, it's not Caesar. Well, Caesar is our king, but And he's our ruler and all that kind of stuff. But we really, we do worship Aphrodite. That's who we worship. Corinth became known as a city of entertainment for the surrounding cities and nations, including Rome. What the Corinthian believers of Jesus, something happened when they became, when Jesus Christ was entered, in, entered uh, into the knowledge of the city and people began to come to know Christ. These Corinthian believers of Jesus did not understand 
was that once they pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, as King, they were in effect, as far as Rome was concerned, declaring their defection from Rome, and even more importantly, defecting from Caesar, and in turn, recognizing Jesus as their new king and their new sovereign ruler. The citizens of Corinth had grown up with Rome turning a blind eye to their devotion to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. They simply didn't consider what Rome's perception would be once they renounced Aphrodite and accepted Jesus Christ, making him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, Paul was a very traveled man. He was a man that went into many different countries, many different cities. And he understood where Jesus was interjected into a city, the city would come down upon the Christians, especially the government, especially the Roman government. The Roman government was the pervading government of the world at that time. Everybody basically bowed their knee to Rome. They allowed people to have their own country, but they still paid tribute to Rome. Rome was still the pervading nation. They were the ruling nation. And you had to pay homage to Rome, to Caesar. Caesar was your king. Caesar was your god. Enter Jesus into any season or into any city, into any nation. And all of a sudden, boom, there became a conflict between church and government. There became a true separation of church and state. Because Christ became the new king. He became the new ruler in the lives of these people. We were just uh, yesterday um, in the men's group. I wish that all of you men would show up for that men's group because it's always such a rich time. My father-in-law, uh, Dick, he had spoke uh, yesterday talking about the suffering church. Talking about what the church, your brothers and sisters, what we oftentimes don't uh, like to speak about, we don't like to hear, we don't like to really give a whole lot of attention to, because it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant to think about. One of the things that was weighing heavy on his heart that prompted his devotion yesterday was in his message yesterday was that, you know, they were the 24 Christians that many of us saw the pictures of them dressed in their orange jumpsuits that the ISIS, you know, dressed them up in these orange jumpsuits and took them out by the, by the, you know, the water's edge and decapitated all, all 24 of them, all 24 Christians. The thing is, there's more to that story. There was many of those Christians that were sitting there encouraging one another, no matter what, no matter what. In just a few minutes, we will be with Christ. In just a moment, we will be with Jesus. These guys are dying for their faith. We don't understand that in this country. We think a little persecution because people mock us or because people call us a Bible thumper or because people go, you believe in God. We think that that's persecution. That isn't persecution. That's not persecution. These guys are out there dying. And and, and there was a, there was a, 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 a story that came back to my head yesterday and Erlis brought back the, the accuracy of the story uh, about Roman soldiers. And, and, and Roman soldiers uh, were, were called in to, to bow their knee to the emperor in Constantinople as 
a potentate to sacrifice and worship him. And it became a decree and went out through all the Roman soldiers in that area that they had to bow their knee and sacrifice to this emperor. And all the soldiers understood. They understood that there were 40 of the soldiers. True story. There were 40 soldiers actually were Christians. They were, they were Christians and they knew these were some of the hardest, most valiant fighters and most honorable soldiers in the Roman army. But they also knew that on the day that all the soldiers were supposed to bow down and sacrifice and worship this new emperor, they knew these 40 soldiers were not going to do it. And so the word came to the commander and the commander went to them and said, listen, I understand, but do you understand how valuable you are to us? Do you know how much we love you? Do you understand how much your service means to us? Do you understand how much your devotion has meant to us up to this point? Now just just when you hear the sound, just bow and sacrifice and it'll all be over. Just don't, don't make us become your enemies. I mean... Are you willing, really, to die for this Jesus? I mean, really? For reals? He probably didn't say for reals. For realeth? <laughs> and then the spokesman said, realeth? For realeth? No, he said, uh, he said, you know, we don't need to hear the sound. We will not bow. And we will not sacrifice. Because the word of God says, worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. We will not bow down to another king. We will not bow down to someone else who claims that they're God. And so the commander said, oh man, this is, this is hard. So he says, wait here, you know, we've got another commandant that's coming in basically, you know, in a week and he will be able to pass judgment on what you guys are going to do. And so what ended ended up where the commandant came in and said, listen, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you don't, there's going to be torture and you're going to, you're, we're going to torture you to death. But at any moment, at any time during that torture, you can recant Christ. You can recant Jesus and we will stop the torture and we will restore you to your position. But if not, at sundown today, your judgment is that we will strip you naked and we'll take you, and it's in the middle of winter, we will strip you naked and all 40 of you, we will stick out in the middle of a lake, a frozen lake, and there you will sit until the very last one of you are dead. But understand, we will surround that lake with soldiers so no one can get off, but on the side of the lake, we will have a warm tent with sustenance in there. Should any of you recant, you can go over to that tent and you can live. And there, were, there was you know, a phrase that they said, hey, we're 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. And they were stripped down and they were taken out into the middle of the lake at sundown. Around midnight, their voices began to kind of wane away because one by one they began to you know, fall away and, and, and were getting quieter because they were freezing to death. And one couldn't handle it. One just said, I, I can't do this. And he just broke away from the 40 and crawled upon the ice. And as he was crawling away from them to go to the warm room over there, 
The chant of 40 brave soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ, changed to 39 brave soldiers for Jesus, 39 brave soldiers for Christ. And this fellow, he made his way to the tent. And Aglios was the, was the, uh, the, the commander of the prison or the commander of, the, of, the, of the, the soldiers that was overseeing this. Aglios, he saw this man creep over to this door of this tent and, and he went into the tent and he said, I don't know if it was because he was overwhelmed by the heat in the tent or not, but he could not stand within the heat of the tent and he came back out and fell down. Whether he died at that moment or not, we don't know, but he, he passed out. He just he laid back down in the snow. Aglios heard the men out there on the lake still saying 30 men, 39 brave soldiers for Jesus, 39 brave soldiers for Christ. When it, most of the soldiers were asleep when they heard Aglios scream out something very loud as Aglios ripped his own clothes off and he ran out, the commander, and he ran out onto the lake and he joined himself with his comrades out there and began to sing 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. 40 brave soldiers for Christ. Here's the thing. Their witness was such that it impacted Aglios. Was Aglios going to die? Yeah, he was. Did he commit suicide at that time? No. No. They killed him. The soldiers, the Roman army, the, 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 the emperor actually is the one who committed the sentence down upon Aglios and the other 39. The thing is, these all died because they had faith in Jesus Christ. Has your faith ever taken you to a place where you had to stand up and say, hey, you know what? Though my life may be taken, yet I will not deny the Lord. Yet I will not deny the Lord. I will hold firm. I will hold tight. I will hold strong to this faith that I have in Christ. The Corinthian believers, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand persecution. They didn't understand suffering. They didn't understand what was going on in the rest of the world because all that they knew was absolute, utter, 100% acceptance from Rome. Because Rome liked to visit lost Corinthians. Lost Corinth. They, they loved to visit that place because it was a place of debauchery. They loved it. And so we allowed you to worship your, your, your Aphrodite God. Because it didn't, it didn't hinder your worship of us. But the moment that Christ came in, Paul, he's talking to the Corinthians. He goes, you guys are full. You guys are rich. You guys are reigning as kings and priests without us. And he says, let me tell you this. I could wish that you did reign. And that we also might reign with you. You know why he said that? He said this because, man, I wish you guys were kings. Because here's the thing. There is a persecution that's about to happen in this city and you don't even know that it's on your doorsteps. And you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready for this time. Time is short. This world is passing away, Paul said in, in chapter 7, didn't he? He says, there's a present distress. 
And the Corinthian believers are going, what present distress? Well, Paul was pointing out to them, you guys are full, you guys are rich, you guys are reigning as kings and priests. They understood the backhandedness of this statement that Paul is saying here. They understand that Paul not, is not, a, is not um, uh, congratulating them on this. He's saying it to their peril. He's saying, do you understand that right now what you're presenting to me is you're full, you're rich, and that you're reigning as kings and priests? You just let Rome hear that you've become Christians and you are going to suffer immensely for your faith in Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? And so you see, the imminency of Paul, his urgency was, I want you guys to get this. I want you to understand that there is suffering on the path. It's on your path, man. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? I guess I would say the same thing for us here in this country. We've got a lot of churches that have really, 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 really watered down the gospel. A lot. And it's, it's, it's alarming to see how many churches are basically packing in the word of God and they're, they're coming out with some Casper milk toast dialogue or, or, or description and theology that is not found in scripture. It's found in the, the, the members of the leadership of the church that say, this is what we want to present to you because we want you to be a part of our church because we love the church. We love the size of our church or we love, you know, the opportunity to be able to, to have a club we all love the opportunity and we want you to feel good while you're here church is not necessarily a place where you go to feel good that's not necessary granted sometimes it happens but church should be really a place where where we can come and we can be honest with each other and said listen this is what the word of god says is our life measuring up to this and if our life isn't measuring up to what the word of god says are we challenging one another and saying, come on, brother, come on, sister, let's, let's stay true to the word of God. Are we one of the 39 or are we one of the, the one that ran off and said, you know what, this Christianity thing is just way too tough for me, man. I'm going to go get the warmth. That's where our societal, societal Christianity is going. I want the warmth. I want to go to the warmth. I want... Only Christianity if it doesn't impose any negativity on me. Well, let me tell you, Paul is warning the Corinthian believers as I am warning you today. Listen, if you follow Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, if you truly, truly live for Christ, you're going to suffer some negativity, my friend. But is Christ worth it or not? Is Christ worth it or not? That's what Paul's trying to get into the heart of the Corinthian believers. He goes on in first verse in chapter four. He says, you know, you are full, you're rich, you you think you're kings and you're kings and priests. Here's the thing. I am or not king, not priest, but you think you've reigned as kings without us? Oh man, I wish you were. Because if you were, we wouldn't have to endure such persecution because you'd be king. And you would be wealthy, and you would be full, because you're a king. But you're not, and we're not. He goes on and he explains himself in verse 9. He says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. As men condemned to death. 
For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake. And, and that's said in, not as in a statement, you know, uh, we're fools for Christ's sake. No, he's saying we're fools for Christ's sake. That's who we are. But you, you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, distinguished but we're dishonored. Even to this present hour, Paul says, we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure it. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. And then Paul goes in and he says, he's, he's talking to his kids, his spiritual kids. He's, he's sitting here going, I don't want to... You to get the wrong impression here. I do not write these things, he says in verse 14, to shame you. I don't write them to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. I warn you. You see, Paul wasn't just in the business, wasn't in the business of trying to tear down people. There's a lot of, you know, spiritual people that like to cause you know, this inferiority, this superiority complex on them and an inferiority on those that he, they speak to, he or she speaks to. I have this incredible spiritual knowledge and you are just a peon. I'm going to be accepted by the Lord, but you look at your life. You know, and, and you got this feeling, you know, when you talk to people like that, you kind of walk away and go, man, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. That's not Paul. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Listen, the train is coming this way and you can't stop it. And it's going to come through this town and it's going to blow this town away. And I want to warn you, I want you to know that there is coming a time very, very soon that your life may be required of you if you stand for Christ. Are you ready? That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's doing. And so as we, you know, as we go back into chapter 7 and we see what Paul is doing, Paul says, if, we, if you have kind of paid attention to what we were saying as we read, he says in verse 7 or in verse 18, was anyone called while circumcised? Well, let him not become uncircumcised. Okay? There's no time for that. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him be circumcised. Now, I know verse 18 is kind of conflicting to some of you was anyone called while circumcised let him not become uncircumcised how do you do that there was a practice to do it because oftentimes i I don't want to be graphic i don't want to be gross or anything but much commerce was happening that would happen many business deals would be done in the bathhouses in corinth the bathhouses in corinth were were men with men you know in a steam room naked And if you're a Jew and you've been circumcised and you're wanting to go in and make some deals, (laughs) really weird place to make deals, but that's where deals were made. Here's the thing. Anybody you try to make a deal with could look at your lower regions and see, you've been circumcised, you're a Jew, I want nothing to do with you. And so some of these men that had been circumcised thought, well, I don't want to miss any business opportunities. And so there was a practice 
of where they would begin to stretch the skin once again and make it to where nobody could, nobody could ever see that they weren't circumcised in the first place. Let that be enough said. That's what Paul's saying. Have you been, have you been circumcised? Seek not to be uncircumcised. Don't, don't do something for business purposes. What are you doing? Stop it. But on that same note, are you uncircumcised? Don't seek to be circumcised. He says, let him, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God, is that's what matters. And so it's, it's almost confusing because all of chapter 7 has been dealing with marriage and singleness. And then Paul throws this little parenthetical statement in here about circumcision and slavery. And then he concludes the whole chapter with singleness and marriage. Once again, and you go... Paul, what are you saying? Why would you interject this? It's because he's making a point. Guys, remain in your present state because time is short. Time is short. We are living in a time where Christ can come back at any second. We are living in a time when persecution can come raining down upon the city of Corinth at any moment. And it will take you like a whirlwind. And so don't set up roots on this earth. Because it's not about this earth. It's not about this, this planet. It's not about, about what you can do and what you can achieve on this, on this earth. It's about Christ. That's what matters. What matters is, are you living for the Lord? He says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. His point is, don't get caught up in the things of this world Circumcision or uncircumcision? Slavery or non-slavery? Marriage? Singleness? Not that marriage is bad and not that singleness is bad. We've already read that, right? Paul says, listen, if you're married, you're not sinning. If you're not, if you are married, you aren't. I think I said both of them, you know. If you're married, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're unmarried, there's nothing wrong with it. You haven't sinned either way. It doesn't mean that you're in sin if you're married or not married. It doesn't mean that. But don't live your life only for those purposes, because that is such a, 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 unnecessary right now. You don't have to live for those things. Those things are not to be the very forth, forefront thing on your mind. It's living for Christ. Let each one remain, he says in verse 20, in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Well, hey, don't be concerned about it. But if you can made, be made free, well, then rather use it. Now, I know it might be easy for Paul to say, hey, wait a minute. I was called. What does he mean by that? Here's a guy that was a slave. He heard the gospel. He responded to the gospel. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Is he still a slave? Of course he's still a slave. He just is a saved slave, right? And so Paul says, listen, were you called? Did you become a Christian while you were a slave? Hey, don't be concerned about it. Yeah, it's easy for you to say, Paul. You're not a slave. No, Paul's saying, listen, here's the thing. If, if he's, gonna, he's actually going to answer it here in just a second. He says, if you can be made free, well, then use it. Yeah, definitely be free. If you can get free, please, be free. But if you are a slave, don't break laws to unbind yourself to the master. You, he who is called in the Lord, he says in verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave, he is the Lord's freed man. 
Likewise, he who is called while free, he's Christ's slave. So he's saying, if you're, if you're a slave, you might still be a slave, but know this, you are free in Christ. You're free in Christ. You've got a new master. His, master, his name is Jesus. Were you, were you called while free? Guess what? You now have a new master. You're now a slave of Christ. So the point is, is that we're still going to be slaves of, of Christ. Either way, whether you're enslaved in the world or, or free in the world, you still are going to be a slave of Christ. And then he says, you were bought at a price, verse 23. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. Now, let me hurry up with this. He says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. There is a contrast here. On the one hand, Paul's saying that those who have been purchased by Christ have become a slave of Christ. Whereas on the other hand, Paul says, do not become the slaves of men. So on the one hand, Paul says it's good to be a slave. And on the other hand, he says, don't become a slave to anyone. So how can both be accurate? What's the difference between the two? The difference is is the first is a slave of Christ. The second is a slave of a man. Paul says, don't become a slave of man. Become a slave of Christ. He said all the way back in the book of of Romans in chapter 6, verse 18, he says, do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin to death or obedience to righteousness. And so if you want to sit here and kind of have a problem with, hey man, I don't really like this whole dialogue or this monologue that you have here, Pastor Don, on slavery, because I don't, I don't like slavery. I, I think slavery is, is not good. Well, Paul's saying, yeah, it's not really a good thing if you're a slave to man. And if you can be free, then be free. If you have a, an out, please take your out legally. But if you can't take it out legally, then just abide in the position that you're in under the local governments that you have. But know this, you are a freed man in Christ. So serve the Lord. Who knows? What, and, and I'm now going to kind of just interject what Paul would be saying to you. You might be a slave, but you might be the slave that free in Christ, but a slave under a master. Here's the thing. You can't get free. And so right now, you be the evangelist. You be the apostle. You be the disciple. You be the Christian amongst all the other slaves. Minister where you are. Plant where you're, grow where you're planted. That's all that Paul's saying. Grow where you're planted. Be who you are, but be who you are for Christ. Don't seek to be something else. Don't use your energy to strive to be something else. Just be who you are in Christ today. That's what he's calling you to do. Are you single? Be single and love it for Christ. If you're married... Love it for Christ. Be married and love it for Christ. Are you circumcised? Well, be circumcised and love it for Jesus. If you're uncircumcised, well, then love it and be uncircumcised for Jesus. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter the things of this world. Are you, do you belong to Christ? And are you, is, are you his master? Or are you his slave? Is he your master? Are you following him? He goes on, he says, you are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. This contrast here, first is a slave of Christ, the second is a slave of man. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Do not follow even good men slavishly. Do not say, I am of Paul, 
I am of Apollos, I am of Calvin, or I am of Wesley. Did Calvin redeem you? Did Wesley die for, die, um, uh, for you? Who is Calvin and who is Wesley but ministers by whom you believed as the Lord gave unto you? Do not so surrender yourself to any leadership that you rather follow than the man Follow the man, then his master. I will follow anybody if he goes Christ's way, but I will follow nobody by the grace of God if he, if he does not go in that direction. So if you've got somebody that you're following, he's following Christ, hey, right on, go for it. In fact, Paul said back in chapter 4, he says, imitate me. That's what he was saying when he was saying, you guys are full, you guys are rich. He ended up saying, hey, imitate me. Do what I do. Because I am imitating Christ. You want to know how to follow Christ? Do what I do. It's a bold statement, I think, from Paul. So I guess the question is, is whose slave are you? And so what does this mean, you were bought at a price? Some silly facts and things that are going on right now in the world, this kind of popular happening right now. The NBA finals are on. I don't know if any of you guys are watching this, but uh, I, I thought bought at a price. I thought of of you know one of the most wealthy athletes in the world today, and I thought about LeBron James. I kind of did a little research. In 2015, last year, LeBron James was paid by the Cleveland Cavaliers $20.8 million to play basketball for their organization. Okay? But he was paid an additional $44 million to endorse various products and organizations that were apart from the Cavaliers. So all in all, LeBron James was paid $64.8 million in 2015. You know what that looks like? Well, for the Cavaliers, well, actually, not even for the Cavaliers, just LeBron James in his $64.8 million. Every single day that LeBron woke up in 2015, he was paid, how would you like this, $177,524.25. You wake up in the morning at $177,524.25. Cash was on your, on your nightstand. Every single day, Sundays included. Every single day, no weekends, every single day. Now, if you just look at his time with the Cavaliers, the, the, the money that he was making from the Cavaliers... His paycheck for each game that he played was $228,571.43. So every time he showed up for all 82 of his games, every one of his games, he was paid $228,571. And then I kept breaking it down. I'm going, okay, this is ridiculous. They paid him $11,400. And $22.30 for each shot that he took. He just had to throw a basketball up. If it made it in the hoop, good. If it didn't, that's fine too. He made $11,422.30 to just shoot the ball, whether he made it or not. How much money, you might ask, did he make for making those baskets? Well, if we look at it that way, Every basket that he made, it came out to to, uh, uh, $24,499.41 each and every time that one of his shots actually made it through the cylinder. And so here's the thing. He made a lot of money shooting basketballs. He's making a lot of money even to this day. Why this little exercise? 
Because for $64.8 million, both the NBA Cavaliers and the companies that endorse LeBron James, they expect and even demand compliance with their product. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means this. LeBron can't simply show up and play the game. If To show up and not play the game, he shows up, he puts on his uniform, but sits on the bench. He goes, hey, I ain't going to play today. Now, LeBron might be able to pull that off for maybe a game or two. But after a little while, it isn't going to happen. Right now, today, there's a game on. LeBron can't just show up with his uniform on and say, yeah, I ain't going to play. Not today. It might fly for today, but he's going to suffer the wrath of, of his organization. He's going to suffer the wrath of fans. He's going to suffer the wrath of the people who are paying his salary. You see, he's LeBron, but he has to perform in accordance to the money that he was paid. He was bought with a price, you see. You see, LeBron also isn't free to wear Adidas or Under Armour shoes or clothes when he goes out in public. If he wears any form of sport outfit or sport shoe, it has to be Nike. Because he's being paid a portion of his $44 million a year just simply to put a swoosh on his, on his clothes. Nike. He's also endorses Coke. If LeBron James drinks a soda, you're never going to see LeBron James drink, drink a Pepsi. He's going to always bring and drink a Coke because that's who he endorses. Else, his endorsement goes away. So you were bought at a price. Why this? It's the same thing with you and I who are Christians. We have been bought at a price by Jesus Christ. No longer do we make decisions based upon what we want, but we now make decisions based on who it is that we are endorsing, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? You got that? We got that? We follow Christ. We do what he would have us to do. We don't put on the clothes. We don't watch the movies. We don't listen to the music. We don't go with people and and enter into relationships that don't have a relationship with Christ because that's not endorsing Christ. That's not endorsing Christ. I'm a Christian. You are. Why are you doing this then? That is inconsistent with being a Christian. LeBron James out there wearing an Adidas, drinking a Pepsi. You go, what are you doing, LeBron? Hey, man, I'm a free man. No, you aren't. I mean, you are, but $44 million is going to go away here in just a real quick second. I'm not saying that we're going to lose our salvation, but here's the thing. If we really are Christians, are we not to be endorsing Christ with everything that we are, everything that we have? You were bought with a price. Paul says, don't become slaves of men. You're a slave of Christ. You are endorsing Christ. What does he want from me today? What does he want me to speak? Who does he want me to speak with today? How does he want me to respond to the one who says something hurtful to me? Where does he want me to go today? All decisions of mine are now run through the filter of the who it is that I have been purchased by. Who are you purchased by? Who are you a slave of? The point is, Paul is trying to get into the hearts of the believers here in Corinth. And I'm finished with this. Is this, you have got to follow Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Know this, you're not full, you're not rich, and you're not king. Not in, the inst- not in the way that you think you are. You're not impervious to the suffering that is about to come crashing down on your head in Corinth. If Corinth knew anything, they would know from their history 
that they can't cross Rome because it was just some hundred years before this. Actually, it was about 180 years before this in their history. 143 B.C. That Rome went in and annihilated Corinth. Killed the men, took the women, destroyed Corinth, and left it uninhabited until 44 B.C. Some say 42 B.C. So for 180 years, Corinth had been decimated and laid waste by the, Rome, by the Romans. Actually, no, it's only 100 years because it's B.C. I'm sorry. I'm not very good in math right now in my head, trying to think on my, on my feet. 144 B.C., 44 B.C., 42 B.C. I, like I say, history struggles with that, but 44 and 42 B.C., Caesar went back and said, let's rebuild, let's rebuild. Julius Caesar said, let's go back and rebuild Corinth. And let's call it the Corinth that Julius built. And that was the name of the, the city, you know, in their Greek terminology, Julius, da-da-da, Corinth, you know. And, and so uh, Julius Caesar rebuilds it, and it becomes a bustling city again. Some 80 years later, we're here around 90 years later, we're here around 50 you know, uh, 40 to 50 uh, A.D. here. And Paul is ministering and Paul is working and Paul is doing his ministry here. Christ is, has lived. He's died. He's risen from the dead. Corinth was a city from 44 B.C. all the way to zero up until 40, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50, wherever we are here when Corinth was written, uh, when this book was written. Here's the thing. It was re-inhabited, but the Corinthian believers thought, hey, we're good with Rome. Rome's good with us. But the moment that they begin to cross Rome with this whole idea of another God and another king and another ruler, they will come back under the wrath again. And so that's what Paul was trying to address with them. And that's what I'm trying to address with you. Yes, we're talking about Corinth, but we're also talking about our own present day and age. Gang, listen. You and I, we have before us an ever-increasing difficulty to be a Christian of the Word of God. I ask you, I warn you, I plead with you, I beg you, I beseech you, I don't know what, what else I can say. Get into the Word of God, know what the Word of God says, and don't adulterate the Word of God to make it say what you want it to say or what anybody else wants it to say. You listen to what the Word of God says. If somebody else comes along and says, oh yeah, that's not what that means. Jesus didn't die on a cross for you. His blood didn't, wasn't shed for you as a church here in town is now propagating. It wasn't His blood that saved you. It wasn't His blood. His blood didn't have to be shed for you. I go, blasphemous. Shame on you. And yet, I have friends that are at the church and they're following this man. And when you, when, you, when, you, when you try to speak with these people, they go, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You've become a slave of man. You've listened to a man. You've taken the word of God and you've chucked it out the door because you like the ambiance of a building and your friends. You've cast aside your Christianity. Gang, listen, this might be your last message that you're here for. Don't ever let that happen to you. I don't care where you worship. I don't care where you serve. I want you to be in the word of God and not disobey this thing 
Get into it. When the literal sense makes a perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make what? Nonsense. Get into the Word of God. I am a realist and I'm a purist when it comes to the Word of God. That's God's Word. And I'd rather be guilty before God of saying, I just did what your Word said. I just taught what your Word said. I stuck to this. Even though people got mad at me, even though people discarded me, even though people left me in friendships because they go, oh, you, you're a realist. You're, you take this thing literally. Guilty as charged. When I stand before Christ one day, I want to be guilty of that. Not being tossed to and fro like by every wind of doctrine. Paul said this day was coming. Paul said this day was coming when teachers would begin to teach things that the congregation wanted to hear that would itch their little ears. To draw up teachers to themselves to say, hey, it's okay. And those teachers will say, don't you understand? If you teach the Word of God, they'll leave. Let them go. Let them go. I'm doing nothing more than Jesus did. Jesus had a a congregation in front of him of at least 5,000 people and probably upwards to 15 to 20,000 people. When he said something hard, they all said, wow, that was tough. We're out of here, man. You are a wild man. And they all departed. Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And because they didn't want to stick around to find out what it was that he meant by that, they said, whoa, dude, we're not into cannibalism. We're out, man. Thanks for the food. It was good grub. Boom, they were gone. Jesus didn't go, stop, you guys. Come on back. You just misunderstood me. Let me water it down a little bit to where you understand what it is that I'm saying. No, Jesus says, hey, they're gone. He watched the last one leave, the last bit of dust that left. Then he turns to those that he trusted and loved the most. And he looked at them and he says, Hey, you guys want to go too? That's not church growth material. You don't grow churches that way. Not according to our modern day way of growing churches. And Peter goes, Where else would we go? Hey man, what you said is tough to understand. But one thing we have come to know is that you have the words of life. Where else would we go? You see, that's the heart that God can use. That's the heart that God can reach into. Is that your heart? Or when something that the Word of God says that contradicts your lifestyle, it comes in conflict with the way that you're living your life. But everybody else is doing it, and there's all these churches that are doing it. I don't care. What does the Word say? If you're going to live according to something that's contrary to the word, you are a part of the 5,000 that left. You're not a part of the 12 that stayed and said, I may not totally understand it, but here's the thing. I know you have the words of life, and here's the thing. I'm going to make my life come in concert with your life. I'm going to allow, I'm going to make my life line up with your word and line up with you. Because my life is no longer dear to myself because I have been bought with a price and you bought it, and I'm your slave. You are my master. And so my life is about you from this day forward. The secret to a successful Christian life, the secret to a life of non-depressed Christian life is recognizing when you look in the mirror that life is no longer about the person looking back at you. It's about Christ. 
What does Christ want to do in your life today? He has so much that he wants to do in your life. He has so many of your friends. He has so many of your family members. He has so many people that could gain so much value from who you are and what you are if you stand strong in him. And you will lose friends. And you will lose family members. And you will lose those that you you love the most. As they, they mock you, as criticize you, and say, if you just, it, does Jesus really mean that much to you? Just like Aglios said to the 40 that he forced out under the ice. Does Jesus really mean that much to you? Well, for those 40, he did. For those 40, he did. For those 24 young men who declared their faith in Jesus Christ and offered their heads to be lopped off by the ISIS members over there in the Middle East. They said, yeah, it doesn't really matter what my friends say. It matters what Christ thinks. It matters what about the Lord desires and thinks of me. Secret to the successful Christian life is surrendering your life, dying to yourself. That's where Paul's life began to grow. That's where Paul's life began to be free when he understood, I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I now live, I live the glory of the Lord. Secret of success as a Christian, true success of a Christian, you live for Christ and watch what he'll do in your life. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I know that we didn't really talk about marriage or singleness, which there is a, a strong topic of discussion here in chapter 7 of Corinthians. But Lord, there is an underlying message that I believe that Paul had here. And you desired to share with this congregation today and anyone who would hear this. I pray, God, that every single one of us have heard this message. We've responded to this message. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has, they've lived their own life, they've only had their own life, they've only lived for themselves. They look back in a mirror and life is about them. It's not about you. They've never accepted you as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, at this moment, just at this one time right now, Lord, if their heart is open to you and they desire that relationship with you, let them open their heart to you right now. Let them ask you to come into their heart May they come before you honestly and openly and say, Lord, if that's you out there, you want Christ in your heart. You want Christ in your life. You're tired of living for yourself. You're tired of the disappointment of life being about you. And you recognize that God is worthy. God is God. And God has a plan. And God has a purpose. God loves you so much that he was willing to become a man and die on a cross for you so that you can be forgiven of your sin and go to heaven. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins regardless of what that church here in town says. Your blood had to be shed on a cross for my sin. If that's you today, ask the Lord to come into your heart. You ask him. You want to be saved? You ask the Lord. You come before the Lord and you say, Lord, forgive me. 
I am a sinner. I want to be saved. I want to follow you. I want to have a real life. I want to have a real life of purpose. I want to have a real life that honors you. This is pretty wild. I don't know that I've ever been challenged so much to live completely and totally surrendered and sacrificed to God, but today I'm going to do it. Because, Lord, this just made sense today. Because there really is no one else worthy to live for. There is no other master that is worthy to submit myself to but you. And so this day I submit myself to you. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you all that I am, all that I ever will be. Lord, it is now yours and yours only. From this day forward, I pray, God, that you would help me to make the decisions based upon how it is that I might please you and live for you. May I be used by you, God. May I be a tool in your hand to touch the rest of the world, Lord, that because this time is short and this world is passing away, as Paul said. And I have been now bought with a price and I will become a slave of no man, but I will live for you from this day forward. I don't even know what all that entails, but one thing I do know, I've been challenged here to get into the word of God by Pastor Don and right now I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow you, God. All the rest of my days of my life, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. Help me in my days of weakness where my flesh creeps back up and creeps back out of, the, out of that casket that I'm putting it in right now. Help me to live for you. Help me to kick that old dead man back down into that casket so that you might be living freely in my life with no restrictions. God, do this work in my life. I want to live for you from this day forward. And I know it's radical, and I know maybe my family or my friends might not understand, but Lord, give me the strength and give me the courage to live for you from this day forward. Give me the courage of those 40 brave soldiers for Christ. Give me the courage of those 24 young men who gave their lives because they simply gave their heart to you and would not recant, would not refute that. And we're willing to die. Get God, give me that courage. Give me that resolve. God, give that to all of us in this room. May we live for you from this day forward as we live and honor you with everything we do, say, or put our hands to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.